Hello, everybody, and welcome to Die Trying, your favorite Michigan podcast. I am your host, Danny Mogo, and we've been on board all season following Jim Harbaugh and his quest to beat the Ohio State Buckeyes and win the Big Ten. And the quest is complete. They've done it. They've beaten the Ohio State Buckeyes. They've beaten the Iowa Hawkeyes in the Big Ten Championship to win the Big Ten. It was or die trying. Well, we're still alive and headed to the college football playoff. And what a win it was against the Iowa Hawkeyes. 42-3, an utter domination from beginning to end. This game had several parts to it. You know, part one was jumping out to that early lead, getting those first two touchdowns, jumping out to a 14-0 lead, 14-3, heading into the second quarter. And it was the big plays. It was the big play offense. We had a 67-yard run by Blake Corum, a 75-yard touchdown pass by Donovan Edwards, a little trickeration to Ramon Wilson. Who knew he could throw the ball that well? That was a that was a beautiful pass by Donovan Edwards, right on the money. And the uh, it seems like the nation has discovered that Michigan uh, has some big play potential and has several explosive players that can do that. It's not just a ground and pound, three yards and a cloud of dust run between the tackles on first and second down every drive. Yes, that's what they did in the second half against Ohio State. And when you can do that, you do that. But that doesn't mean they can't do other things. They've shown us this year that while there isn't that one marquee star on offense, because there is one on defense, there isn't that one marquee star, that Heisman-type talent on offense, there is a plethora of players that can make big plays, whether it was Corum, who we saw, Donovan Edwards, who now I believe has a pass, a run, and a catch of over 50 yards for a touchdown this season. Ramon Wilson made that catch. We've seen Cornelius Johnson have big plays. The same could be said of tight end Eric All. Of course, let's not forget about Hassan Haskins. So there's A.J. Henning is another guy. There is a lot of players here on this team, and we saw that off the bat to take the lead. Now, in the second quarter, it kind of looked like, uh-oh, like, you know, good thing Michigan hit those big plays. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pump the brakes a little bit there on that because I think the circumstances dictated that to some extent because Michigan had those three consecutive drives. This is part two of the game. They had three consecutive drives starting inside their own 10-yard line. It made sense to be a little bit conservative in that scenario because of who you're playing. You're playing an Iowa team that basically can only produce points when their special teams or their or their defense, more often than not, gets involved, particularly when they are playing a top defense like Michigan's. So this was a unit we knew was going to struggle to move the ball against Michigan, and the Wolverines knew Harbaugh knew Coach Josh Gaddis, hello, Broyles Award winner, thank you very much. They knew that the one thing you couldn't do was make a mistake and give Iowa a short field. They knew if you made them earn it, there's a good chance this team will never cross the goal line. 
And that's exactly what happened. So the the point of the second quarter, when you're buried three times inside your own 10-yard line to start drives, was not necessarily to add to the lead, which would have been wonderful, but to make sure that Iowa doesn't get a cheapy to chip away at the lead and make this a game. Make the Hawkeyes earn it. And that's exactly what the Wolverines did. And that's why they held Iowa to three points in that game. And I do need to get something off my chest. Um, Can we get A.J. Henning on the line for some dance-splaining? Because I have a huge pet peeve here in terms of what he's doing returning punts. This seems to be a proliferation of this around not just college football, but the NFL as well. I remember when I was younger, you know, here's, you know, get off my lawn speech. But when I was a kid watching football, I remember there being a rule, you know, if you're a punt returner and you're standing at the 10 yard line and you have to move backwards, don't catch the ball. Let it bounce. Because what do you say? You know, you catch the ball at the five. If it rolls to the one, you're only saving yourself four yards. But if it goes into the end zone, you're gaining 15. It's simple math. It does not make any sense to fair catch the ball inside the 10-yard line. He did it three times in a row. I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't believe it. Um, Later on in the game, he caught one and he returned it. Which, which is different, that I understand. But then you're not standing at the 10 because that's a booming kick and you have a little more room to work with. But if you're standing at the 10 and you have to move back and you're going to fair catch the ball, oh, AJ, please, you're killing me with those. You cannot do this against Georgia moving forward. But anyway, all right, I, I'm, I feel better now. I got that off my chest. That just really peeved me during that game because he did put Michigan in that situation where, hey, maybe, you know, a tip ball, ball slightly behind somebody. We already saw one interception at that point in that type of scenario. This is where Iowa, uh, you know, this is where Iowa goes off. You know, this is where they excel. I think if I, I think if you're Iowa, you'd rather them have the ball at midfield than your offense have the ball at the five-yard line. They're more likely to score because you know their offense is going to struggle against his defense, and they did all game long. And then part three was the second half, the coronation, where Michigan kind of wore them down, as they do to most teams. Um, they they you know were able to extend their lead, first with a Hassan Haskins run in the third, in midway through the third quarter, to go up 21-3, similar to the Ohio State game where the Defense got a three and out right away to to start the second half, and Michigan was able to counter and get a touchdown of their own. And once it was 21-3, you kind of felt the game was over, and they really just poured it on with uh, 21 points in the fourth quarter for that final score of 42-3. I don't think you could have asked for much more from the Wolverines there in the Big Ten championship game. Um, Where should they be ranked? You know. I think it's okay that they're a number two. I don't have a major qualm with it. Although I do think there is a case to be made. There is an argument to be made. It is debatable, legitimately debatable, is Michigan number one or is 
um, Alabama number one in the country. I think you could say the same about three and four between Georgia and Cincinnati. And, you know, it, it just, my only issue, I guess, would be it felt like, oh, this is the consensus and this is what it's supposed to be. So, and people were saying it was debatable, but it felt like a lip service debatable. Like, we're going to say it's debatable, but then not debate it and just make it Alabama 1, Cincinnati 4, let's avoid an SEC rematch. So that, that was really my only issue. I can't say they were wrong. I'm not going to say they were wrong because I think, you know, this is, we're talking opinions here. We're talking uh, subjectivity in terms of ranking these teams. And, and it was pretty close in, in a lot of cases. If you're looking at different data points, you can argue, you can make good cases, strong cases for both teams. It just seemed to me that it was too close for everyone to kind of be on the same page, or at least the the majority of the high majority to be on the same page. Also, so not only do we have congratulations to the uh, program for winning the Big Ten, but to offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis for winning the Broyles Award as the best assistant coach in college football, as well as of course Aiden Hutchinson, Hutch for Heisman, uh, getting invited to New York. As a finalist, I I think uh, his chances, to be honest, of winning it are slim to none. And that's okay, but I think it was phenomenal for him to get the invite to New York as an edge rusher. What a great feat for him and for the program. And really, I think this is something that Michigan should pump out there, right? Especially when you're recruiting the defensive players. Talking about having Charles Woodson the Charles Woodson as the only uh, primary defender to win the Heisman Trophy. We had Jabril Peppers, who I got to speak to uh, at the Heisman uh, uh, ceremony a few years ago. And now we have Aiden Hutchinson going there. So if you're a defensive player and you want some shine, the Michigan program knows how to get it for you. And with that, we're going to bring on our guest, Austin Meek from The Athletic. And joining us now on Die Tryin' is our very first guest from back in August before the season started, and that's the Austin Meek of The Athletic. Austin, how's it going today? Good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, you know, we're coming off this Big Ten championship victory for the Michigan Wolverines. I don't think even the most optimistic uh, Michigan follower envisioned this when we spoke uh, back heading into the season. Um, but let's start right with the championship game. Uh, 42 to three uh, blowout of the Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, was this a, a result that surprised you? Yes and no. I didn't expect Michigan to pull away from Iowa the way they did. I thought that this could be a low scoring game. Uh, and I thought even if Michigan played really well, it could still be a game that was within a couple touchdowns. So it was surprising to me in the sense that I didn't expect Michigan to win by that margin. Uh, but you know, if, if you watched Michigan all season, uh, you, you saw a lot of the, a lot of the characteristics that Michigan showed in that game uh, in terms of, the defense continuing to get better throughout the season, the offense continuing to get better and more dynamic throughout the season. 
Michigan's really evolved from being a team early in the year uh, that really was a heavy, heavy run team to being a team late in the year that uh, still wanted to hang its hat on the running game for sure, but also had the ability to open things up more. And, and they did in that second half against Iowa and were able to, to win going away. And I think right now you'd have to say Michigan has played its two best games of the season in its two biggest games uh, against Ohio State and then against Iowa in the Big Ten championship game. I think it's fair to say that. Um, is there anything we can really take out of this game or, or how much of this was also a product, not to take anything away from Michigan, but also a product of the, of the opponent? Well, Iowa's offense has struggled really all season, especially in the yeah. second half of the season. Uh, but Iowa is, is a team that you don't expect to blow out uh, because their defense and their special teams keeps them in a lot of games. So I, I do think the fact that, that Michigan was able to win so convincingly uh, and able to put up 42 points on that defense is not, not any small thing. Uh, and I think you'd have to, you'd have to say uh, going into the orange bowl against Georgia for this offense to, to put up 47 on Ohio state and 42 on Iowa. That to me is, is the real statement. Uh, I, I wasn't surprised that Iowa struggled to move the ball on Michigan and struggled to score points, but I think Michigan's offense being able to, play at the level it was at against Iowa is, is probably the big takeaway that, that I would have from that game. Yeah. And you just mentioned playing their best in their biggest games. And I believe in your column, you added that always hasn't been the case under Harbaugh. So what is different about this team? You know, I think that, I think that the players on this team uh, and the leaders on this team, whether that's Aiden Hutchinson, uh, Cade McNamara, Hassan Haskins, you know, there's a core group of players on this team that seems to have uh, a resolve and, and a toughness uh, that, that Michigan has been looking for. Um, I really think that uh, when we talk about the turnaround this year and, and what's different for Michigan, it's the players. Um, Jim Harbaugh's still here. He's still Jim Harbaugh. He he's evolved too in in some ways, but he hasn't had a team quite like this one at Michigan. Uh, he hasn't had a leader quite like Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, and the players, I think, in that locker room really really did take some ownership of this team, and, and they were the ones who said we we want to be different this year. And, and then they went and, and they backed it up. Uh, they, they were different uh, in, in the games that matter against Ohio State and against Iowa uh, and in, in a couple other games throughout the season as well. So I'd say that's where it starts. You know, it, it's, it's this group of players, I think, that, uh, that really helped Jim Harbaugh get to this point of being able to uh, hold that Big Ten trophy which had been a long time coming for Michigan. Oh, yeah, I believe Cade McNamara even talked about that going back to the Nebraska win where, you know, he mentioned this was the type of game that previous teams probably or could have would have lost. Um, is, is there a moment for you or a point in time where you believed that, that this team was actually different? Yeah, I think that was really the time, that Nebraska game, 
when I started to believe that that Michigan had something special here. Uh, and going back a game before that to the Wisconsin game as well. Right. You know, beating Wisconsin was was a pretty big, uh, pretty big hurdle that Michigan cleared because uh, Wisconsin had just dominated Michigan the last two years. Um, Michigan just wasn't competitive really in either game against Wisconsin in 2019 and 2020. And even though Wisconsin wasn't playing well at the time that Michigan went there, um, that really, I think, exercised some demons to go to Camp Randall and blow out Wisconsin the way Michigan did. And then the next week to go on the road uh, against Nebraska, um, you know, a Nebraska team that certainly had its struggles this year, but also showed that in pretty much every game they, they had a chance to win. Uh, including the Michigan game. That was really the first time that Michigan had to come back from a deficit in the fourth quarter. Uh, Cade McNamara threw his first interception. There were some things right. that that were going against Michigan in that game, and they found a way to come back and win. And I think that at that point, those two road games back-to-back, I started to feel like, yeah, you know, it, it seems like there's something about this team that feels different. Now, you, you just mentioned the players taking ownership um, in one of your articles, I know you wrote about Harbaugh, uh, the, the quote unquote new Jim Harbaugh this year, uh, doing a better job of empowering not just only his players, but his coaches as well. Um, can you just give us a little more insight to that? Yeah, you know, I think it started uh, in the offseason when Jim Harbaugh brought in some coaches like Mike Hart and Steve Klinkscale and, and Mike McDonald. Uh, and when uh, he promoted Sharon Moore to coach the offensive line, those were some pretty significant changes. And I think going along with that, there was a, a message that uh, he really wanted this to be more of a, uh, more of a, uh, maybe less of a dictatorship and more of kind of a, a horizontal structure where, uh, all of those coaches were were in the room, uh, able to bounce ideas off of each other. Uh, you know, there there wasn't um, you know there wasn't a lot of conflict among the staff. There, you know, it wasn't like there were coaches sort of jockeying for for credit or jobs or anything like that. It it, it was, I think, a, probably the most cohesive staff uh, that Jim Harbaugh has had at Michigan, uh, and so. You know, that that step of empowering the staff and then the staff empowering the players, uh, it just it seems to have created a healthier atmosphere around the program. Of course, you know, winning is a big part of that. It's a lot easier to have a a healthy uh, atmosphere (laughs) around the program when when the team is winning. And when Michigan started to stack some wins together and get some momentum going, uh, it, it just all kind of fed on itself to create a season that, uh, that ended up being pretty special. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. I mean, all these narratives that we talk about, they're all viewed through the prism of, well, what's the success of the team. So you're going to look at things a lot differently when you're 12 and one beating Ohio state, winning the big 10, as opposed to, you know, even a nine and three type of season, I guess to me, maybe the biggest surprise might be the fact that he, he, you know, showed this greater trust in, in his staff when, when it was such a new staff. And on top of that, the fact, I think this is something that we did talk about in the preseason. That was a question mark was even if you love all the hires, 
to have it all click in year one is something that's not an easy task, especially when you even consider that a lot of the guys who were holdovers were switching, you know, positions like a Sharon Moore or, or a Jay Harbaugh. I'm pretty sure Sean Nua and Josh Gaddis were the only guys who were both returning and staying in the same role. That That's a massive undertaking, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And that was my thought all along is that, you know, I liked the direction of, of the changes that, Michigan was making I just didn't think that it could come together as quickly as it did uh, you know if you take Mike McDonald for instance as the defensive coordinator he'd never been a defensive play caller before really hadn't worked in in the college ranks since he was a, a GA at Georgia right so I thought that there would be uh, a learning curve there and, and there there was at times you know especially in terms of like adapting to the tempo of, of the college game uh but really, uh, on the whole, um, that transition went much more smoothly than I expected it to. Uh, and, and really, just all the parts seemed to kind of fall into place. Um, you know, Josh Gaddis, he, he kind of was on the hot seat going into this year, or at least had a lot to prove. Uh, and now <laughs> look at him now, right? He, he won the yeah. Burroughs award. Uh, yep. So, you know, it takes a lot of those things just falling into place to have a season like Michigan has had. Um, and that's just, that's, that's been the story. Everything that Michigan needed uh, to happen in order to be here has, has seemed to fall into place. So what, what's your expectation with this staff moving forward? They've lost uh, Courtney Morgan, which I think was a slight surprise because I had heard, that he might be going to Washington, but the impression was that would be to take a uh, fi- uh, on the field coaching position, not just a lateral move. Um, do you see Michigan potentially losing any other pieces to this staff? Well, I certainly think that there are some coaches on the staff that are, are going to be in demand um, and Michigan's going to have to be pretty aggressive in, in locking up this staff. If the goal is to keep everybody together, um, you know, if, if Josh Gaddis gets a head coaching opportunity, then I think that that's a case where, you know, you, you give him your blessing and, and let him go uh, move on to the next step. But uh, in terms of, you know, if, if guys get offers for, for more of the lateral moves, like you mentioned, that's where I, I would expect that Michigan would want to be pretty aggressive in making sure um, that they're in a position to match whatever offers are, are being made because you know, somebody like Sharon Moore, I'm sure uh, is going to be in demand. Uh, there's a, a coaching change at his alma mater at Oklahoma. Um, you know, Steve Klingscale, I, w- I would think would, would have some interest out there and, and probably some others as well. Uh, you know, Mike McDonald uh, is, is going to be in that position too. Uh, at least based on how things have gone in his first year. So uh, I, I would expect that Michigan would want to be pretty aggressive in uh, in keeping that staff uh, taken care of, especially because w- when you look at Jim Harbaugh's salary, uh, it's, it, it's really out of step right now with the rest of the Big Ten, which should give Michigan the resources to invest in, in the staff if, if that's what they decide to do. Yeah, for sure, especially when you just – these numbers that you're seeing out there – with coaching staffs, head coaches and, and assistant coaches are is just booming this off season. It's, it's ironic as we all thought um, in light of Harbaugh's contract and, and coming off the COVID year where so many athletic departments were hit hard. 
a lot of people wondered, would this be a recalibration in this industry? And while it appears that there was a recalibration, it, it went in the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the thought that coming out of COVID-19, uh, uh, athletic departments would suddenly discover financial restraint uh, proved to not be <laughs> correct. We've kind of gone the opposite direction. If you look at uh, the Mel Tucker deal, uh, the Brian Kelly deal at LSU, yeah, the uh, the market has really exploded here in this offseason. So, uh, Austin, you know, um, this team is going to be facing Georgia uh, in the college football playoff, a tougher opponent than many of us thought might be lined up there. We thought, you know, maybe Cincinnati, maybe Oklahoma State. Um, what are what kind of chances do you give this team going into that game? Well, it's definitely a tough draw. Uh, it's not uh, the the opponent that Michigan probably expected to be facing. Uh, it's it's a bigger challenge, I think, than uh, than an Oklahoma State or or a Cincinnati. Uh, definitely from the you know, from the talent standpoint and just in terms of, of the roster that Georgia has and, and the talent they're going to put on the, on the field, they're as talented as any team in the country. I think, you know, if you're Michigan, first of all, you didn't expect to be here. So you're kind of playing with house money anyway. Secondly, if you want to win a national championship, you got to beat the best teams. And whether you play them in the semifinals or the championship game, it doesn't really matter. So, I, you know, I think Michigan's in a in a pretty favorable spot just from the perspective that I don't think there's a lot of pressure on Michigan in this game. Um, Georgia's favored by a touchdown at least. Uh, Georgia's the team that spent most of this year at number one. Michigan's the team that uh, wasn't even ranked at the beginning of the season. So, uh, you know, I think if you're Michigan, you just go into this game and play loose, um, give them your best shot. Uh, there's no real pressure or expectations. And uh, from Georgia's perspective, you know, they're in a, a spot where, uh, you know, Kirby Smart is going to be hearing a lot of the stuff that Jim Harbaugh heard about not being able to win the big game. And mm-hmm. Michigan sort of got that off their back now. Uh, and I think they can just play loose and have fun and, and see what happens. And I, I get the sense they kind of relish this role, right, of being somewhat of an underdog and, uh, you know, a team that's maybe overlooked and not expected to do something. They seem to really embrace that 2%, which was the chance that, you know, they had to win the big 10 at the start of the season as a motivational factor going into Iowa, a game that they were a big favorite to get in. Yeah. They've, they've been saying that all year, going back to the preseason uh, players have talked about uh, really relishing the, the underdog role uh, really being fueled by, hearing things about yeah they were going to finish six and six and nobody gave them a chance to win the big 10 and nobody gave them a chance to beat Ohio state. You know how much that stuff matters. I think it's, it's always hard to say, but if the players buy into it, if, if it, if it motivates them, then you can't discount it. Um, And I, I have a feeling they'll be drawn on that again uh, leading up to this game, because a lot of people are going to pick Georgia. Uh, Georgia has been the, the most dominant team all season, at least until, uh, until last Saturday. So um, I think this is a, this is a very familiar and a, a comfortable p- position for this Michigan team to be a, to be an underdog. So you talked about uh, this team getting better as the season has gone on. And there's no doubt about that. Um, have they peaked or do you think they have 
another gear or another step that they could go to leading into the college football playoff? We're talking about what do we have about three weeks plus uh, leading up to that game? Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't think they've topped out. Um, I think there's more there. How much more? I don't know, but it, it is encouraging to me to see, uh, you know, guys on the field uh, who have made plays the last two weeks who are young players who are just kind of finding their, their footing. You know, you think about Donovan Edwards, he really didn't play a lot this year. Uh, He played some early in the non-conference games. And then the early part of the big 10 schedule, uh, he, he wasn't out there a lot. And then Blake Corum gets hurt. And all of a sudden Donovan Edwards comes in and catches 10 passes against Maryland right. uh, and throws a touchdown against Iowa. Um, and he, every game he plays, he's going to get better. Uh, you think about a guy like Rod Moore, another player who didn't really play a lot early in the season, uh, just a little bit here and there. And then after the Michigan state game, they decide he's going to have a bigger role. He's been one of their better players on defense, I think um, coming down the stretch. So you know, seeing some of those freshmen uh, making plays in the biggest games of the season, it, it does make me think that that this team even can play better uh, than they have so far. Uh, and it's just a matter of uh, whether they can put that all together now for 40 minutes against Georgia. Yeah, it's it's they've definitely we've definitely seen guys, I think, more than in years past. Um become part of the rotation or see their roles grow, particularly our younger players like a more who who's looking like a real find a kid that was a three-star player now looking, you know, like a, like a major contributor to a, a playoff team. Austin, before I let you go, um, one of the other things that you wrote about over the past few weeks was the new beginning. That was something that Harbaugh said, a new beginning off the Ohio State game. And I know you could look at it as a micro, uh, at the micro level, but I'm going to look at it as a macro level uh, in terms of just this season from the beginning felt like kind of like a reboot, almost like a year one, even though, you know, we weren't going to give Harbaugh the leash of a year one head coach, but this such a different staff and just a different way of him doing things. They changed the way they kind of recruit to some extent. So, is this, in your opinion, a new beginning, or is that just kind of old Jim popping up in terms of feeling himself after a great win? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I felt like even going back to like in the spring, you know, the way I sort of framed this season is it's either going to be Jim Harbaugh's last stand at Michigan, or it's going to be the start of of his second act. And and I think that we got our answer to that, right? It's it clearly is. You know, there's going to be a, a line of demarcation when when we look at Jim Harbaugh's time at Michigan, however long it lasts. There's going to be the time before he beat Ohio State, and there's <laughs> going to be the time after he beat Ohio State. Uh, and at some point when he's done here, we'll be able to compare, you know, the two eras of, of Harbaugh at Michigan. And, and who knows what it's going to be after this, um, you know. Hey, who's to say that Michigan doesn't ride this into, you know, a couple more Big Ten championships and a couple more trips to the playoff, maybe even a a national championship in there. Uh, And if that happens, then I think we'll look back at this season and say, you know, this really was the beginning of Jim Harbaugh finally 
you know, achieving the things at Michigan that, that people talked about when he arrived here. Um, so I do think beating Ohio state, it, you know, it almost like just sort of wiped the slate and all of a sudden, all those things that people said about what Michigan hadn't accomplished that went out the window. Uh, and now we'll just, we'll see, we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Austin. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us. We're going to be looking forward to reading your articles leading up to that game against Georgia. And I'm sure you'll be there and, and uh, give us some good insight from the college football playoff game. All right. Should be fun. Looking forward to it. Thank you for having Great spot there with Austin Meek from The Athletic. And before we uh, close out this podcast, one of the ways that this can be a new beginning is if the Wolverines and Jim Harbaugh in particular use this opportunity as Big Ten champs. Um, Teams can no longer say he can't win the big one. He can't beat Ohio State. They're always going to be number two at best in the Big Ten. No one can say that anymore. As Big Ten champs, as a team that's headed towards the college football playoffs, can they parlay this into a recruiting boom during this uh, stretch here with signing day coming up a week away? That's going to be the key, right, to sustaining this, to growing this, to making this into a bigger, um, potentially more consistent program playing at this high of a level. So we have some news and notes there before I let you go on this. And we're going to be talking more about recruiting and about the game against Georgia coming up over the next uh, two, three weeks as we close out the uh, month of December and the 2021 calendar year. But uh, today we just learned that Andrew Gentry, a six foot eight inch offensive tackle, maybe Juwan Howard's going to take a look at this kid too when he gets on campus, is on board. He is from the transfer portal. He was a four-star kid in the 2019 class. So two years ago, he was ranked 88th, so top 100, not just four-star, but a top 100 offensive tackle. It was down to Michigan and Virginia. He ended up going to Virginia, whose coach Bronco Mendenhall just stepped down. He's been on a two-year Mormon mission, so he hasn't played college football, but he will be uh, taking his talents to Ann Arbor. They also added Zeke Berry, a four-star safety from the state of Arizona. Um, in terms of uh, the 2023 class, they added a four-star Joel Stallings, an edge rusher from Virginia. And there are some crystal balls on linebacker Raylan Wilson, where it appears it's a battle, ironically, between Michigan and Georgia. He is a Florida kid, so dipping into that SEC country. And in terms of uh, this year's class, the 2022 class, The Wolverines are adding some more big names. Obviously, if you follow recruiting at all, you know they've been really going after a pair of five-star offensive tackles and Josh Connolly Jr. from Seattle, Washington, as well as Kenyatta Goodwin, who um, is originally from the state of Kentucky. He's listed as Indiana, but I believe he's a Louisville native, and he is currently committed to Kentucky. But they've added a couple of names in terms of uh, players they're going after, including Derek Moore, 
a uh, former Oklahoma Sooners commit, and he was one of the guys that decommitted upon upon Lincoln Riley's leaving OU to go to USC. He is currently ranked 78th in the country on the composite rankings. He is he hails from uh, Baltimore, St. Francis, which is where Blake Corum and uh, Hill Green went to high school. So there's some familiar familiarity there between him and the program and some of the guys on the program. And uh, we have a uh, Steve Wiltfong put in a crystal ball for him going to Michigan, although only two in terms of his level of confidence. It's still early in that, but he's coming in for a visit, I believe. So that that is big news there, especially when you consider, you know, edge rusher and the fact that Michigan has one edge rusher in New York for the Heisman Trophy and another one in David Ajabo who's projected as a first-round pick. If you're an edge rusher, why wouldn't you want to come to Ann Arbor and play in this defense? Another guy who they're getting in on more aggressively now is Darius Clemens, who they did have in for a visit over the summer. Uh, Looked like he was going to end up going to Oregon. He is another four-star, 130th in the country. He will be making a visit to Ann Arbor. So he's somebody to keep an eye on, as well as Keon Sab, who is currently ranked as the 93rd player in the country. He is a safety uh, that was committed to Clemson. He decommitted from them uh, recently after Brent Venables left the program to take over the OU coaching position. But there was already some buzz and some crystal balls have been put in for him going to Michigan even prior to that. So he's another potential top 100 guy that Michigan is looking to add. Right now, Will Johnson is the only five-star and the only one in the top 100 that Michigan has um, a verbal from. The next highest-rated recruit is Tyler Morris, a wide receiver who's at 114 just outside that top 100. So it's it's a big time, I think, and we're going to talk more about this next week for Michigan in terms of their recruiting You know, this is the most success they've had on the field. Let's see if this is something that Harbaugh could use to lure in some recruits to sustain this success. Uh, Thanks a lot for listening today. Um, We're going to be back next week with some, uh, with definitely a recruiting podcast. We'll be talking a lot about the Georgia game moving forward as well. I'm your host, Danny Mogo. You can find me on Twitter at Dan. The big man, Dan the B1G man, please subscribe, uh, like, rate, review, all that good stuff. And of course, go blue. Have me on.